Your views, your news, your Limerick Today with Gillian Devlin in for Joan Ash on Live 95. Limerick man Bernard Gloucester began his job as CEO of the HSC almost a year ago and one of the big changes he's made is to create six regional executive officers who report directly to him and aware of the particular difficulties we have here in the Midwest, the appointment for this region was fast-tracked with Sandra Broderick being appointed late last year and she joins us for the very first time now in the studio. Good morning to you Sandra, you're very welcome. Good morning Gillian and good morning to your listeners. So explain to us first of all, what exactly is this role and what are your responsibilities? So so the role of the regional executive officer, um, so to explain to you and, and your listeners, is is um, first of all to remove the multiple um, governance lines that did exist up to my appointment. So we had acute community and public health services reporting into different lines of the HSE centre. So the CEO, um, Bernard Gloucester, has set about um, implementing the Slauncher Care objectives. So what's happened is the most significant delaying of the HSE since its inception. So acute community and public health services now have a single line of authority into me as the responsible person um, in this region. So that means that we can integrate all of our services together as one. So we don't have acute community and public health services anymore. We have a HSE Midwest. So, so that's the first thing. The second piece that's really significant about this is that all the staff now come under one accountable officer, which is myself. And the second piece is that I can direct staff and services to meet patient needs across this region. So we've removed several layers of bureaucracy, if you want to call it that. So we can direct everything that the patients need across this region as informed by population health analysis. So that's in a nutshell what I'm here to to deliver um, on behalf of this organisation. Okay, so like I suppose one of the criticisms in the past has been that there's been way too many managers and not enough actual health staff. And here was the creation of more positions but is you're telling me it's actually going to reduce the bureaucracy, even though there's six new positions across the country? Yeah, so I'm the single accountable officer and I report directly into um, Bernard Goster as the CEO of the HSE. Previously, there would have been several lines of management in terms of getting accountability right to the CEO. So we've reduced that and Bernard has reduced that quite significantly. So the line of accountability has become much narrower in terms of of, of being responsible for, for delivering the services that people require. Okay, so and your own background, Sandra, how does that empower you to carry out this position? Well, first of all, I'm a, I'm a mother um, to two lovely boys. And secondly, um, I'm a, a registered nurse. Um, so I, th- I think the nursing um, piece never leaves you. So obviously I have clinical knowledge and have worked in management across lots of um, health and social care services, both here and, and in the United Kingdom. OK, so you're in charge of everything, as you say, and that includes the story that comes up time and time again here and that is the capacity at University Hospital Limerick and the overcrowding that goes on there. The trolley figures have been a very big story um, since, I mean for years, but even since Christmas we've had record figures there um, up to 150. How are you going to manage this? And I, I want to expand, I suppose, more more on the, the demand. So, so to, to just give a flavour, I suppose, to your listeners. So, 
last year we've seen 80,000 people arrive at our ED department in Dura Doyle. That's the first thing. Another 47,000 people were treated and seen in our in our local injury units across across this region. And just to give a further flavour, every day at Dura Doyle we see over 200 people for ED attendances. Over 60 of those patients arrive via ambulance and that's the highest number of ambulance arrivals to an ED department in the whole country. That That's the second piece. We see 400 people in outpatient appointment clinics and over 2,000 2, patient meals are served every single day um, at Dura Doyle. So just to give a flavour sort of, 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 of what's going on there. Um, to answer your question in terms of the demand, we have a lot to do in terms of strengthening our processes and further growing and developing them. So that's the first piece. So we need to use what we already have much better effect. So that's one. Two, it's widely accepted. We absolutely do have a capacity challenge and your listeners and yourself, Gillian, will be well aware, to, everyone will see the, the, the 96 bedded block that's currently under construction. construction. So my focus is on making sure that we get that that unit opened, that ward, them wards opened in the very near future. And that's my single focus in terms of the hospital. So processes, number one, two, making sure that we have efficiencies and three, getting that block open. But I also want to advise your listeners and, and, and yourself, Gillian, we are growing our community services. We have wonderful services in the community and we need to make sure that we are utilising all of that to the best effect. So we have the integrated care um, for older people in the community. We have the chronic disease programmes running at the moment. And whilst everything was once hospital centric within the four walls of the of the hospital, we're moving forward where people will actually be receiving care in a different location, either in primary care centres or in their own homes. So we have a huge cultural piece in terms of moving forward and helping patients to understand where their services can be delivered. And it won't necessarily in the future be inside the four walls of an acute hospital. Okay, well, you can obviously keep an eye on making sure that the 96 bed block is moving along at pace and things are being done there. But Short of that, um, the efficiencies you speak of, can you give us any examples of anything that you have done or that you are doing or can be done that will change uh, the level of overcrowding that you have at the hospital? So we have the community intervention team. So we're, we're, we, it, through the community, we're able to go in and pull patients out of, of, of Dura Doyle that don't necessarily need to have their ongoing treatment delivered inside in the hospital. So people can have their care delivered in the community through that really experienced healthcare team at home. So that's the first thing. So we're going to start getting people out earlier in their journey in the acute hospitals when they're no longer required. Because I'm the accountable officer in this region, we have community slots for diagnostic, um, diagnostic but we also have hospital capacity. So what we're going to do is re-engineer that capacity to meet the severe needs in terms of what the hospital require to get through those diagnostics. And again, that will speed up the pace at which our doctors are able to discharge people and to inform the the treatment that patients require. You mentioned that, but I'm just remembering a story that we had here. It wasn't into community care, but it was a a father who got in touch with us his daughter had been in the hospital for a number of months. She had a bed there. She was being treated in neurology and she was then moved to Croom. And within 24 hours, she ended up back in UHL. They had explained Croom will not be able to deal with her epilepsy. But she had a seizure and they immediately sent her back. So without necessarily getting into that particular case, it, I suppose, makes our listeners think that they're trying to move some people out of the hospital too quickly. 
So, so the hospital, uh, in fairness to them and, and to the staff, they're, they're highly experienced healthcare professionals, highly experienced um, doctors. We do make decisions constantly in terms of the flow of patients through, throughout the hospital. That's one experience and that's one person who, who has experienced that. What I can tell your listeners is throughout our Model 2 hospitals into, into Nina, into Ennis, into the Croom, we, we've moved hundreds and thousands of patients across into those facilities from Dura Doyle and many of those patients have had really, really good experience. So I think it's really important to look at the volume of patients that we're currently dealing with and the volume of patients that actually recognise that they've had a really good experience within our services. That's not to say that sometimes we don't get things right, but we always work to remedy what we don't get right and learn from those events. And while we're on that, we may as well mention the fact that there have been a number of deaths at UHL that have received a lot of media attention. I know there are certain reviews underway at the moment and we don't want to get into what's going to uh, happen in those reviews. But how do you deal as the executive director of the Midwest region with that publicity for the hospital and the fact that those deaths are happening? Well, firstly, um, to, to those families, um, as a, as the accountable officer, um, in this region, as a mother and, and on behalf of all of the staff in the HSE Midwest, I want to sympathise with the families of, of all of those who, who have sadly passed away. That, that's the first thing I, I, I need to, to say to those families. Um, the second piece is how do we deal with the, the media attention and, and the focus on that? Look at, we, we're a public service. We are going to be under scrutiny. That's, that, that is only right. The second piece is though that I would ask people not to jump to premature conclusions. We have processes in place. We have the incident management framework in place and we need to be allowed to work through all of those various protocols to understand what happened in the various cases that you've referenced. Okay. Um, Something else that has been talked about here in this programme with Minister Niall Collins and Paul Gavin debating the overcrowding at UHL and Niall Collins also raised this point on uh, RTE. The difference between the INMO figures and the HSC figures in terms of overcrowding. Can you explain that? Because every time he brings it up and says things are improving, um, he gets shouted down. Can you explain why they're so different? So firstly, um, just to recognise the INMO and and the really good relationship that we have with them. Um, We're all agreed, um, both the INMO and all the unions and the health service, that we need to do more for our patients and we want to make it better. So so I need to start with with that. The second piece is there's been many disputes over many years about how we count as the HSE, the numbers and how, how the INMO represent the figures. So what we do is that we publish our our figures um, every morning at 8am and what we want to do is be transparent with the public. So how do we be transparent with the public? We tell them the number of people who are in the ED department on a trolley but also up the, up on the wards. So it's, it's really important to the HSE that we actually tell the public that not all the patients, so if you're reporting 80 people on, on trolleys, that's a really concerning figure to, to most members of the public and what we need to demonstrate to them and need to tell them and need them to understand as well is that not all of those 80 patients are within the ED department. We distribute all of those people on trolleys up through the house and into the wards. So that's a really important distinguishment. The other part that we're, where we may not necessarily agree with the INMO on is where we place patients in surge wards and they're wards, just everyday wards that are only open at time of significant demand and we have people in beds in those wards. The INMO would report those beds as trolleys because they're not on a specialist ward in terms of what the patients have been admitted for. But 
to say to your listeners, we are focused on our trolley numbers. We are focused on the access issues and we will continue to focus on that and we will continue to implement improvements to deal with that demand for our services. Sandra, one of the things that has come up time and time again as well at UHL is this 24-7 model that it should be and people saying that it seems to shut down at the weekend. There aren't enough discharges at the weekend and that leads inevitably. Numbers are always higher on a Monday and after a bank holiday it's even a lot worse and that's when we tend to get our record figures. So how are you dealing with that and what changes can we see in terms of it becoming more 24-7? So the matter of discharges at the weekend is is, is widely reported and, and, and that is something that we are working on to, to improve and and it's something that we've seen a marginal improvement over, over the last five to six weeks and it is a focus for, for all of the healthcare professionals working out in Dora Doyle. It is something that we will continue to work on and it is a priority focus. So I want to reassure your listeners that we, we are prioritising our discharges at the weekend and we will continue to make improvements to those discharges to get them increased over the, the, the weekend period. How hard is it to do that? Because you're competing with various different groups. You have the uh, the INMO, as we mentioned. We've consultants as well. There was a story reported about a consultant, an ED consultant, who refused to come in when the overcrowding was at a peak level. And the argument is made is that that's not what their job is. But patients are going to think, well, wouldn't, why wouldn't you come in if you're on call and overcrowding's at peak level? So you've got patients' views, you've got nurses' views, you've got doctors, consultants. How do you manage all of that? It's it's very easy, I suppose, to, to demonise one group of, of healthcare workers and I'm not here to, to demonise anybody. It is an entire system that needs to come together to ensure that we get a consistent flow that flows throughout the seven days. So so that's the, the first piece. The second piece is that we have many consultants who are not on call and even come in at weekends and throughout the week when they're not they're, they're not obliged to be there. So we need to recognise people do an awful lot of goodwill in terms of, of coming in to review patients and, and to see patients and to offer a helping hand in there. So, so that's really important to, to, to recognise they're giving to, to, to the organisation to keep the flow going. So look at people and your listeners might be aware that, that we have um, the new consultant contract that will enable us to, to roster more consultants on over the seven days and there's lots of reform happening I suppose and that's one piece of it but we need all of the system to work together in order to affect those discharges at the at the weekend um, and, and people are pulling their weight and people are coming in and doing a really really good job in Dora Doyle despite the significant challenges and despite exceptional demand for services. I have to raise the issue that the Midwest um, Hospital campaign brings up and many others bring up here as well in our comments from listeners is that why don't you open the ED at St. John's, uh, Ennis and Nina uh, to try and deal with the overcrowding? So look, I don't want to dismiss the, the Midwest hospital campaign. I don't want to dismiss anybody that, that feels that, that it would be really good to, to, to open a Model 3 hospital. What I have in front of me at the moment is is data that tells me about my recruitment ability of world-class healthcare leaders, top medics in the world, leaders in their field. We have issues attracting those people to this region and we have issues retaining them. And if I have issues doing that in a Model 4 hospital, 
what would it be like? And I have to think what it would be like to try and do that in a Model 3. Notwithstanding that, I need the public, I need the representatives, the, the political representatives of this region to get behind me to make sure that, number one, we get Block A opened, and that's the 96-bedded block, and that we further get the capital infrastructure or investment for Block B, which will give huge amount of reprieve in terms of, of the demand capacity mismatch that we currently experience down in Dora Doyle. So they're my priority focuses and I need to be able to focus on getting them in in place and I'm not saying everything is off the table in terms of of additional capacity but at the start of this programme I did say that we need to start moving a lot more of the care we deliver to patients into the community. So we will be ramping that up very very much more um, and, and people will begin to experience that is, is in the community that we are ramping up our services and, and treating more people in the community which is it's, it's the objectives of Slauncha Care And when do you think people will be able to experience lower trolley numbers? So I can't commit to you right now that people are going to experience lower trolley numbers what I, what I can tell you is that we have absolutely amazing staff down there that work day in day out to meet the needs of patients that are under our care. I am here to advocate for the opening of the 96 bedded ward to do the work with the CEO of this organisation to make sure that we can start recruiting the staff that are required to get that block opened as soon as it's handed over by the builders. But also I'm here to hold people to account in terms of making sure that we implement the processes that are required to flow patients appropriately through our services. And that includes community services, not just acute hospital services. And will that 96 bed block be open early next year? So, so they, so, 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 so it's due to open, uh, sorry, it's not due to open, it's due to be handed back by the builders by the end of quarter one, 2025. Okay. So if it's handed back by the builders by the end of that quarter, when is it likely to be operational? So I am, as I just said, I'm, I'm working with the CEO the of, of, of yeah. the organisation. I need to be able to recruit the staff yeah. and I need to be able to recruit the best staff that we can get, a, get, get, get and attract into this region because that's what the population of this region deserve. They deserve the best healthcare staff that we can attract to this region. And that's my focus to make sure that we get them in. Okay, well, Sandra, it's been lovely to hear your pitch today and what you'll be doing. And people need to be aware of those changes that are happening in the community. And it gives some reassurance to know that work is being done. So uh, we hope you'll stay in touch and keep us abreast of all the developments. Sandra Broderick, thanks for joining us Thank on Limerick Today much. this morning. Your views, your news, your Limerick Today with Gillian Devlin in for Joe Nash on Live 95.